on most Sundays, unless we're doing a particular special sermon series, you see these banners on the wall that give our mission, our mission statement. Disciples making disciples, loving God and people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That those are there to help us, to remind us of what we believe our mission statement is called to be. If you look through the history of a lot of Protestant denominations throughout the country and, and look at mission statements, it's often disappointing at how they change. They, they, they tend to become more expansive, less tied to sound doctrine, uh, less rooted away in a foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some mission statements become victims of, of what the military will often call mission creep, starting once with a clear Christ-centered focus, a gospel-based sort of mission, and, and then over the years, over the decades, sort of evolving into these man-centered objectives. In many cases, they'll They'll say things that, that Jesus spoke about, clothing and feeding the poor and showing compassion to broken lives and appealing for justice. But once you detach those sorts of aspirations from the gospel of Jesus Christ, once you lose that as the, the basis for the work that you do in serving Christ, then you have pulled out the hope. You have taken away what is ultimately the life-changing, transforming power of the gospel and replaced it with uh, what is just another form of works sort of orientation in terms of religion. I, I'm so glad that you got to see the video this morning from Pastor Grooms, that he took time from his ministry at the church there in, in Lynchburg um, and, and, and took us back to the 1980s when this church was founded, 40 years having passed since that time, 40 years that he has been faithfully preaching God's word and, and serves a church where he's been now for a long time, since actually since leaving here. And the mission statement of the church that he's at now says this, based on the foundation of the gospel, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus who can make a difference in the world. I appreciate that. He, he and, and also, and Stuart mentioned it, Dick Vinoy, who was the second pastor, those two have partnered down in Lynchburg and both served together. But I, I point that out because those two brothers whose ministries spanned the first 15 years of the life of this church still serve under that banner that says, we as believers in Jesus Christ are called to make disciples. We are called to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and then to teach people to obey Jesus Christ. And it excites me to see faithful brothers decades later still under that banner, still making disciples on the foundation of the gospel. Over the last couple of months, Bob and I have been going around to all of the home groups as part of this Arise and Shine campaign that we've been doing and showing a, a presentation. And part of that is just talking to you about some of the history, some of what Pastor Grooms was talking about before, because the elders believe that our history celebrates God's providence. It, it acknowledges that, that this is all of his kindness to us in, in even placing a church here in what was at the time the, the middle of some woods. There was no Lorton Station Boulevard. There was only this little street that goes out over here, Gilmore. Um, and, and this was just, this was a, a place with barely any houses around. And yet God established a gospel preaching church here in Lorton, a place that would proclaim his word faithfully and for decades to come. And God and his providence has done that. And over 42 years of ministry since, God in his kindness has grown up this neighborhood around the church. Isn't that sweet of him to do? That, that not only did he place us here, but then he gave us 
just this wonderful area of, of neighbors that surround us. And throughout the years, Grace has had significant highs and lows. Go back to, to 2005, and, and my understanding is there were points when it was down to about 30 people or so worshiping here on Sunday mornings and, and, and serious concerns about keeping the doors open and the lights on. And even at that point in time, God in his providence took a, another church, a larger church, Emmanuel Bible Church, and used them to say, we'll, we'll help you, we'll come alongside. And they did this revitalization that put us back on a course of growth. And even since then, there have been struggles. There have been hard days in the life of Grace Bible Church. And yet by his grace, the mission of Grace Bible Church has always been kept in focus. And the word has been preached faithfully and taught by elders and pastors like Dan Hopkins and Tim Fisher and Merritt Anderson. And for 40 plus years, God has blessed Grace Bible Church with a flock that is committed to being followers of Jesus Christ who seek to make other disciples, who seek to be about the, the business that Jesus has called us to. And that is a wonderful legacy for us. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 28, I think every now and then it's good for us to, to just get back to some basics, remind ourselves of what our mission statement is and what the biblical foundation is for that mission statement. What are the, the guardrails, if you will, that keep us from straying in terms of our mission? What is it that keeps us focused? And this is a good place to start in Matthew 28. Jesus Christ, of course, had come to earth as God in flesh lived a, a sinless life, had given himself to be a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, dies there to bear the wrath of God for sinners, and he takes our place on the cross, and then in three days rises from the dead, conquering sin, demonstrating that his death on the cross was enough to satisfy God's wrath and make atonement for sin, but also showing to us that there is resurrection hope, that by his resurrection, he gives to us the promise that he will have ultimate victory over death. After his resurrection, Jesus appears to his followers on numerous occasions. He is equipping them. He is exhorting them, encouraging them, preparing them for the ministry that they are about to carry on as he will be ascending into heaven. And here at the end of Matthew 28, he essentially gives them marching orders, the passage that we commonly call the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, verse 18 says, and Jesus came and said to them, this is to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave these commands to this wasn't a, a seminary setting. He wasn't speaking to trained rabbis. He wasn't speaking to religious scholars. He was speaking to ordinary men, common laborers, a tax collectors, some fishermen, and assorted others. And so the commission that he gives them is not exclusive for that point in time to that group that was hearing him. He's speaking to them as representatives of all of us. And we see that because he says that you are to make disciples of all the nations. And so clearly that is beyond the capabilities of those 11 who are there before him as he's speaking this. He is now speaking more broadly to those that they will disciple and to all who will follow after because in fact he says, and you will do this ministry of making disciples until when? Until the end of the age, until Christ returns for his church. And so this is a work that is to be carried on by generations, that includes us. We are called to this ministry of making disciples. 
Now, this is not a a requirement that every person must enter cross-cultural ministry. It's good if God calls you to that. It's a privilege to be able to, to serve in that way. But even Paul shows us in Romans chapter 15, when he's writing to the church at Rome, and he's saying, I hope to come to you en route to Spain. I'm, I'm hoping to bring the gospel to Spain, and I'm hoping that when I come to you, you'll be able to help me on my way. In other words, I know you're not gonna to go to Spain with me. We're not all going to go there, but me and my team will go and, and you will be a part of it by supporting that, by helping us to go on to Spain. And so all have a role in making disciples. All of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ have this role in making disciples. And we understand that the foundation for that, the premise for that, as he says in this passage, is his lordship. It is the fact that he is master. Verse 18, this, this commission to make disciples rests on the authority of Jesus Christ. And the fact that he is Lord of heaven and earth should give great boldness and confidence to us that the mission we have been given is by the one who has all authority on heaven and earth. He is the one who is sovereign over all. Jesus, our Lord, is in control. And so our disciple-making ministry will accomplish all that he sets out for it to accomplish. It will do all that he intends. And the gates of hell itself will not prevail against his growth of the church. So let's take a few minutes. I just want to think about this commission this morning. First, what is a disciple? And then how do we do this? How do we make disciples? And I'm going to give you three means. I, you might be able to, to, to say these differently or look at different ways in the New Testament, but I'll give you three this morning. But first, what is a disciple? The command in verse 19, just to be clear, we've talked about this before, but, but is, is not go. The imperative in verse 19, typically people see the command as go, therefore. The, the go is the participle in there. It's saying as you're going, in, in the process of your going, the command of the verse is make disciples, be discipling, be um, creating pupils, students, learners. As you are going, make disciples. It is to to, to raise up people who are seeking to learn, to experience something. Lots of different things that, that you and I might want to try to, to learn. You, you do it all day long, um, new language, type of cooking, some kind of tech skill. You search Google and find out how some expert did it and you watch some video on YouTube and you learn how to cook this dish or whatever it might be. Well, th this is a command to Jesus, to his followers, that we are to be people who make other disciples of his, who, who raise up other learners of his. The word disciple shows up in Matthew's gospel more than 70 times. First place is in chapter 5 at the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He sets it there and, and, and had really laid the foundation for this back in chapter four, the distinction between the crowd, the, the, the sort of hangers on, the, the audience, the many who are kind of following, wanting to see what Jesus does, hear what he says, that, that sort of crowd, and then his disciples, those who it seems are in particular learners of his, who are, who are being more intentional in terms of, of being devoted to him and hearing from him. The last verse at the end of chapter four mentioned great crowds that followed Jesus. There, there, Jesus was very popular at this point. There were many who came after him 
to maybe hear something about his teaching or see if he would feed a crowd or do another miracle or things that they had heard along the way. But then there were the disciples whom Jesus begins to build into very purposefully. A disciple was someone who not only followed Jesus, but learned from him, who, who saw Jesus as a, a teacher and sought to hear him. That, that reflects the culture of the day. You, you didn't enroll in a school in the first century. You followed a particular teacher. Uh, you, you dedicated yourself to listening to the instruction of this teacher, and often you did work to help support that teacher so that they could carry on that work of instruction and be devoted to it. Something interesting about the word disciple is that you don't see it in the New Testament after the book of Acts. That it appears numerous times in the Gospels and Acts, but then once you get past Acts, then believers are called brethren, saints, um, beloved of God, exiles, all sorts of corporate names, church, body, priesthood, all of, all of which are terms that to some measure or another, speak of relationship, either our relationship to God as being his possession, his children, his priesthood, or relationship to one another as being brothers and sisters and being joined together and united to the Lord and to each other. That, that doesn't negate then the use of the, the term disciple. God does the work of transforming hearts, of saving sinners, of rescuing them, making them his beloved children, making them the body of Christ. But as, as children, as those who are now rescued by him and saved, we are called to make disciples. That certainly includes proclamation of the gospel. It's certainly the evangelism piece that says we are instruments who speak the gospel, who, who show other people the gospel, who talk about Jesus Christ and what he's done. So there's part of that disciple making is indeed evangelism, but that is not the, the sum total. So the, the great commission in Matthew 28 is not merely a call to go and proclaim the gospel. It is rather to make disciples, part of which is evangelism, but it's really that ongoing work of helping those brothers and sisters grow as learners of Christ, grow as students of Christ. So we are learners, not just of the good news of the gospel, but also of who Jesus is and what he taught and to take that knowledge and to entrust it to others. And, and I'll suggest to you this morning, the New Testament shows the forming of disciples generally by three means, teaching, modeling, and walking. Teaching, modeling, and then walking alongside. Teaching part's the most obvious because he says it right there in verse 20. As you are making disciples, teach them to obey all that I have commanded to you. This is sort of the didactic part. The, it, teach them now. Explain this to them. Help them to go from not understanding who I am to now grasping who I am. Teach them. Theologian D.A. Carson makes the point that already here, we, we sort of miss this in our era of history, but here at, at, at the feet of Jesus as he's speaking, there, there's a remarkable thing that goes on at this moment where now Jesus becomes the focal point of the instruction. Uh, the, the religious instruction up until that point that those disciples were largely familiar with was based primarily on the Old Testament law and understanding the Old Testament law and the teaching of the prophets. And now Jesus says, now you teach them what I have commanded you. It's not that we're abandoning God's law. Rather, it is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. I'm not come to abolish the law, but rather I've come to fulfill it. So now the emphasis shifts 
to the words of Jesus. And even as we are now looking at the Old Testament, we're now seeing in the Old Testament how it is pointing forward to Jesus. And so I'm, I'm taking what he commanded and transmitting that to others, taking what you saw in his life and transmitting it to others, taking what the, the, the prophets and Moses foretold and seeing its fulfillment in Jesus. Before his crucifixion, Jesus had told his disciples in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We must meditate often on the scripture so that we would hear from our savior so that we would see what he taught so we can speak his words after him so we can understand his life and so that we can disciple other believers so that they might walk after him. And so as a local church, we should major in this. And that's why on, on Sunday mornings, the, the primary point that we gather is to worship, but it primarily revolves around the exposition of the word. We come together over scripture and, and read the scripture together and want to understand the word of God better. If you send your children to plugging in, they're going to hear about Jesus and the gospel and the truths of what Jesus has done and what it means to follow him. When our people go to the Fairfax County Jail, or they go over to Harmony, they bring with them the truth of Jesus and his gospel. They proclaim Christ because that's where the life-transforming message is, is in Christ. Monday through Friday, the students who come to Lagos Academy are getting an education that is rooted in trying to help them see a Christ-centered worldview, to see Christ at the center of all of this, so that that education springs up from that. For several years now, we've done leadership training. Pastor Stewart, David Goff have been actively engaged in, in, in training up men in, in both Christ-like character and then studying the word also that God can continue to raise up leaders who would carry on this work of discipling others, being engaged in teaching and discipling of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so as Jesus commanded, teaching is a primary means of making disciples. Second is modeling. Throughout the Gospels, we almost always see Jesus with his disciples, with the 12. Uh, with the rare exceptions, when Jesus goes off to pray to his Father and to be alone during those times, Jesus is almost always near the 12. You see it, particularly John and Mark, both in their Gospels, seem to emphasize this connection uh, of Jesus um, withdrawing from great crowds with his disciples, gets into a boat with his disciples, is invited to the marriage feast at Cana with his disciples, all the way to the point that in John 18, when Judas is going to betray Jesus and he goes to the authorities, he says, this is the place you will find him, is in this garden because Jesus often met there with his disciples. This is the place where he and his disciples go, where he takes the, where he took the 12 of us and where he teaches us. And so there's this ongoing intimate connection between Jesus and his disciples. They followed him and, and, and they were with him. And so that meant they not only got the sort of didactic instruction from his teaching, but they then were able to watch his life they were able to see Jesus interact and observe what he did in all kinds of circumstances. Jesus' disciples are able to observe in action his humility, his compassion, his 
righteousness, his love. They're able to see how Jesus responds when there is criticism, when there is rejection, when there is mocking, all the way to the point of seeing him when he suffers, when he is arrested and then crucified. They see how Jesus serves those who are the lowliest in society, at least by society standards, how he fed the hungry, how he confronted hypocrites, how he ministered to people, how he touched those that others moved away from. The disciples got to see all that and and learned how to treat other people and how to walk through life by what they learned from watching Jesus. So much so that years later, when Peter is writing to believers who are being persecuted in 1 Peter 2, he says, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He's saying to them, Jesus didn't simply warn you about suffering or teach you about suffering. He actually left you a pattern for what it is to suffer in the most unjust of ways, that you got to see how suffering as a follower of Christ looks because you saw Jesus Christ suffer and you saw how he trusted his father and trusted himself to him who judges justly. He left that pattern. When you read through Paul's letters, one of the common themes is imitation. The idea of imitate the, the, those who have come before you because they are imitating Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.6 commends believers in Thessalonica for being imitators of himself and other servants of the word and of the Lord. In a chapter later in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. See how important this imitation is? That it's not only an imitation of the pattern of Christ, but as that pattern is replicated in other believers in the churches, then we are to look to that example and see that and begin to imitate that. And so the believers in Thessalonica are now imitating what they've seen in other churches, and they are now charged with making disciples by showing them a pattern, modeling for them what it looks like to walk with Christ through all of the seasons of life. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we're to do life together enough that we can learn from one another. In other words, be around others so you can observe how Jesus is working in their lives in the sense of how they they are responding to him and see that in others. That's why, friends, there is no substitute for the local church. The, 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 The professing believers who will say, I don't need a local church, you know, Church of the Woods, whatever it is, I'll worship God wherever. Not only are we called to gather together, and so there's the, the basic of the command to it, but by design, being around the body, I get to watch others navigate life's hardships and learn from that. I get to watch what others do when they are blessed abundantly by God and what they do with that blessing, with that prosperity. We get to see how others walk through pain and loss, how they deal with temptation uh, through seasons of life, how they parent in all different seasons, how how they nurture a marriage over the long haul. We, We get to watch that and learn from that. We get to observe how they find contentment in all sorts of situations. And the the beauty in that is none of us is Jesus, 
And so we all fail along the way. And so not only do we get to see those things, but we also get to see how our brothers and sisters respond when things go wrong. And, and we get to see in our brothers and sisters and we get to model for them what it is to confess that I've, I've, I've failed or I need help or I've sinned in this case and, and to repent and find grace. I get, to, I get to see that lived out in the life of the body. And, and we get to do it with all kinds of different people. If we're honest and we were to choose sort of this, this is the people I want to be around all the time, we would probably choose people with some similar interest in music or activities or work or whatever it might be. And the beauty of the, the local church is we get to see a, a larger family with all sorts of differences from all sorts of socioeconomic levels, going through all sorts of situations in life, struggling with all sorts of relational difficulties. And we get to model for one another what it should look like to follow after Christ through those circumstances. These are all opportunities to make disciples, to model what it means to follow Christ through all sorts of paths. Third aspect of disciple making is walking alongside. I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 12. Just turn a book to Mark chapter 12. Seen as Jerusalem, Jesus is gaining in popularity. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are trying to undermine Jesus because they've seen his popularity growing. Um, they are trying to find ways to trick Jesus, get him to say something that's a chargeable offense, something that'll turn a crowd away, something that will cause Jesus to stumble, and they, they can't. They keep trying and they keep failing in that. And so in verse 28, we see one of the scribes who observes this try another tact. Mark 12, verse 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Let's try this question. Name the most important commandment. We'll see if we can get him to trip here. Jesus answered, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I know you didn't ask for this, but the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Love the Lord your God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. In our mission statement, we say disciples making disciples, loving God and loving people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here in Mark 12, we see Jesus' command for not only loving God, but also for the loving of people and how it also is a part of making disciples. We are to love people as Jesus does. That's the, the step he'll take it to in John 13 with his disciples when he says that this command to love is to love others as I have loved you. I am the model for that love. I, my suffering for you, my sacrifice for you is now the, the standard of what this kind of serving love looks like. And so one of the most fundamental means of making disciples is walking with them. It's, it's being there with them. This is different from modeling in the sense that we see and learn from each other and, ob and observe. This is being intentional to come and to walk alongside. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 says, God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, 
but that the members may have the same care, same concern for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. God has composed the body of believers that we would not be divided. And so he makes that picture in verse 25, not walking in opposite directions, walking away from one another, but rather showing the same care for one another, concern for one another. It's walking alongside. It means coming next to those who are in need and even even slowing down to walk with the one who is slower than the others. Everybody has that member of the family who when you're out somewhere in public is always the fast walker and who's two or three steps in front of everybody else and the rest of the family is just working to keep up with that person. And the, the, the idea here is rather if we, we love them, we, we're gonna slow down to meet them so that we can walk alongside loving one another, serving one another, exhorting, encouraging one another, bearing one another's burdens, the whole list of New Testament exhortations on this. Galatians 5 talks about our, our, our freedom in Christ, no longer being in bondage to the law, but now free in Christ. And Galatians 5.13 says, you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Do not use your freedom in Christ to simply satisfy your own desires, to get things your own way, to, to get it done the way you want, but rather in love in order to serve others. Disciple-making cannot be done from a distance. I know that we are such an online generation. There is so much that we can do online, and some of it's actually even good, but we can learn and do things online, but the day-to-day -day work of growing disciples cannot be done from a distance. That day-to-day -day work of growing disciples comes from walking alongside people, comes from being near to them and doing life with them and helping them and standing by them and serving them. Let me show you a testimony of, of what I mean by that, if you'll watch the screen. I'm Mike Webster, this is my wife, Sashin, and we have two kids, Jeremiah and Charlotte, and we've been a part of Grace Bible Church for four and a half years. Grace's military ministry certainly had a good impact for us to land smoothly from coming from Japan to being here in the Northern Virginia area. And it's probably because there's a lot of members of the church who are retirees, some are still active duty. People just understand what military is going through in this area. So in terms of relationship, I think the military ministry helped to bridge that gap for us. We were overwhelmed by um, the desire for people to connect with us and form those relationships and disciple and be intentional about being in our lives, regardless if we were going to move on in the next three years or not. I've been really excited about the different ministries that um, Grace has. I've been blessed by the discipleship training and the preaching training that Michael has gone through. And with outreach, I've been really excited about being able to go on our prayer walks or even when we go with Harmony, we're able to go as a family and come alongside and just um, be worshiping together with the, with the elder community there. 2020 was a, a rough year for us, and it was a year where we saw Grace Bible Church really come alongside us. I lost my brother in June of 2020, so I'd say as soon as I got to Grace, I felt the warmth and the relationships. Oftentimes, the true test of relationships is 
when someone's going through one of the most difficult times of their life, um, and we were plugged into Stuart McRae's home group, and they loved on us, and they helped us. Uh, with losing my brother meant I also was gonna be temporarily taking in my nephew, um, who was a teenager, and my kids were nowhere near that age at the time. So there was guidance and counsel that we were able to get from. So many people came alongside us to encourage us, to help us through this very difficult time. So that's, that's a moment where I already appreciated the discipleship and the love, but when I was at my lowest, it really stood out when people just rallied around us. Each step of the way, um, from the pulpit to our home group, we had people in grace um, that were intentional in pursuing us, encouraging us, and um, just, um, we experienced compassion, kindness, and um, encouragement in the Lord, and um, I'm very grateful for that. We're really excited for the Rise and Shine campaign. There's always room to exercise more wisdom in uh, purchases and subscriptions. Those are things that we did at the beginning of the year already. So we've, we've been trying to make more room to be generous. So I think for us, it'll just be exercising more discernment. Uh, we really are fired up about the campaign. The Lord is growing the church. Uh, we have outreach and we can see the fruit of it. We can see the Lord and the Holy Spirit. All that is at work. I'm so excited about that continued growth and for the opportunity to do that on a larger scale as our church is growing, as outreach initiatives continue and more people in our community are reached. Um, I'm very excited about that. These videos are sweet. I don't know how many times I watch them and I still get emotional. Of course, I get that way anyway. But I, I, these are testimonies of God's goodness through believers faithfully taking up his word and carrying on ministry. And Sashin said in that, we, are, we were overwhelmed by the desire for people to connect with us and form those relationships and disciple and be intentional about being in our lives regardless of whether we were gonna move on in the next three years or not. Friends, when God placed a little flock of believers in the midst of the woods here in Lorton, no one could have known the impact that this body of believers would have from faithful ministry over four decades. Um, we are here now in a place with people who are coming from all over the country who are sent here and who in many cases are here for a short time or for a few years, and, and, and then they may be sent to Japan or Germany or Georgia or California. But the beauty is that we've had an opportunity to teach and to model and to walk alongside and, and, and to be a part of God's good work in their lives and to build into them in such a way that they now take that onto that next place where they are making disciples and serving him. Uh, Mike said it, 2020 was a rough year for us and a year when we saw Grace Bible Church really come alongside. There was guidance and counsel we were able to get from so many people who came alongside us to encourage us and help us through this very difficult time. Brothers and sisters, that is God's grace flowing through 
you, and that nurturing of a, of a godly young couple who were receptive to the teaching of God's word and that modeling, that nurturing has now raised up an elder who is shepherding this flock, who is actively engaged in discipling. That's a sweet blessing of, of what God is doing in the lives of this church and praise him. And, and so that's, that's what this vision is all about. That's, that's really what, why we're, we're doing the videos and why we're making the appeals because I, I, I wanna continue to communicate to you and I think you know this, we've not arrived. Um, we, can't, we can't be content here. Just like those brothers and sisters were 40 years ago, we are the descendants of Pastor Grooms and those other brothers and sisters who, who started here in 1980. And God has now placed us in the midst of a diverse, vibrant community in the center of the national capital region. And the population here in Lorton has quadrupled since that, that church was founded. And so on a good Sunday morning, we get a little over 300 people who come through the doors here and the population of Lorton alone is 21,000. So I think you'd agree with me that there's opportunity there. There is work to be done and there is opportunity for continuing to make disciples, for continuing to proclaim Christ and to teach about him and to model out his life and to walk alongside, and by God's grace, this is a body that has been deeply committed to that. And, and this place, this building, the thing that we're talking about, raising money for a building, is a tool in that. It is a place for, for people to be able to come and, and to be taught and to meet and, and, and to walk alongside and to build relationships that then go outside this door and, and affect all around us. And frankly, we are finding limits on, on our space. There are more people coming, there are more families that want to be at Lagos Academy than can be. We've already had to say no to them because we're out of space there and there's every reason to think that continues. And, and, and friends, this, this vision is not just to fix that in 2023 or for the next four or five years. This vision is so that 40 years from now, there can be some believers here who can look back at some video and go, oh, look what those old fogies did. That's pretty good. But, but what they did is they established something by God's grace that is a foundation and shoulders now that we stand on. And, and so that's at the heart of what the elders have asked from you, brothers and sisters, is that you would join us. Praying about this and in asking God, what level of involvement you might have in embracing this vision, um, whether it's money or prayer or whatever it is. Um, we believe there's a calling here to continue to make disciples, and we want to continue to do that to the, the best capacity we can, and so we just pray that you would pray along with us concerning this vision. Let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, the work of disciples starts with your saving work. None of us here would be able to take on the mantle of disciple of Jesus Christ were it not for your sovereign grace. That you would give yourself on the cross and that you would then save sinners from out of the depth of their depravity. That you would rescue and give life, and now by your Spirit's enabling, equip, and empower for ministry. So Lord, we thank you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here this morning for whom this seems all very distant, who 
um, does not feel any connection with Jesus Christ or with the, these truths, I pray that today, Lord, by your grace, would you open their eyes to see that they are sinners in need of a savior and that Jesus Christ who died on the cross paid a sufficient price to rescue sinners and that he will save all who come to him in faith, who cry out to him for forgiveness of sins and they will be saved. Lord, thank you for the faithful work of ministry of generations who have gone before us. Thank you for those, as Pastor Groom shared in the video, who took a, a vision for this place and trusted you to provide and believed that you would supply and you have done that. <laughs> Incredibly more than all they asked or imagined. And so Lord, we pray the same now that you would do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, that you would work through this body of believers and that you would continue to accomplish your good work in this community. And that Lord, if a, a building is to be part of this vision, a new, a new building, then Lord, we know you will be the one to supply. You are a God who owns it all and Lord, it'll be your good hand that supplies that. Help us to trust you and to step forward and walk by faith before you. In Jesus' name, amen.